The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Today in this special program, report from the Gulf of Mexico on the current oil disaster, impacting lives along the southern states of the United States from Texas to Florida, as well as the country of Mexico. Andy Smith, spokesperson for the Apicolola River Keepers Association, an area of outstanding beauty threatened with the movement of oil, joins us as well as veteran investigative reporter Pat O'Brien from the heart of Florida. Gentlemen, welcome. Good to be here, David. Yep. We're there. Well, I guess we are over 50 days since the explosion on the oil rig in the Gulf. Andy, you're well and truly ensconced in that area, and uh, I know that you are challenged with this and really doing a wonderful job in staying uh, pragmatic and calm in this uh, dreadful time that is facing us today. What is the update from your, your area? Um, Franklin County is where the uh, Apalachicola River empties into the Gulf of Mexico. It's got a world-famous bay that produces oysters. It's also got huge seagrass beds and salt marshes, but it's ringed by barrier islands, one of which has a man-made cut through it called Bob Sykes Cut. Um, at today's emergency meeting of the Franklin County Board of Commissioners, um, those commissioners voted to um, close, if it's possible, if it's feasible, Bob Sykes' cut. And it's interesting because 50 or so days ago, we all, when this thing was first happening in the county, stakeholders were all getting together to talk about it and develop a plan for it. Um, I asked the the question that I that I that I introed at that time, you know, I want to ask a question that I don't think will fly with everybody. But what about the possibility of closing Sykes Cut? And we are all saying, oh no, it takes too many permits, that sort of thing. But when push is coming to shove here, and you're looking down the barrel of oil coming into your bay and destroying your livelihood, um, the county commissioners have really stood up on that local level, like other folks have, and said, we got to take the actions that we can take that may be non-traditional, that may not be in the normal pipeline for what we do, and, and take those actions. And I think it was a good one. I think it was a really good decision, a good move. Uh, just another example of how folks really need to, to, to approach this strongly from the local level as well as every other level. Andy, our listeners are worldwide. 
and I've been talking to people in the UK this morning. There is not a lot of exposure to this or information, but clearly in talking to people, there is now developing a great fear over this. Just very briefly, can you describe or provide a picture of that Gulf region uh, from the tip of Florida uh, going around towards Louisiana, and the general size of this oil spill and, and the closeness of the oil now to the coastland areas? Um, I can do the best that I can. The Gulf of Mexico is a huge gulf um, that extends, like you say, from the tip of Florida all the way around to Texas and into Mexico. Um, it produces a tremendous amount of food for everybody. You know, everything's eaten in there, including humans. And um, the, the oil spill, as I think we've all seen over time, um, they were first, BP was, was standing on the uh, number of 1,000 barrels per day, fighting it being up to 5,000 barrels a day. We're now all agreeing that it's over 25,000 barrels a day and has been doing it for the last 50 or so days and will probably continue to do that for the next 50 or so days. Um, I don't know the aerial extent of the spill right now, and nobody does. I mean, we, we at that county commission meeting, there was a Coast Guard officer in there voicing publicly an official position that we'd been talking about for days, that there's, there's oil under the surface that we're not tracking. Nobody's really tracking well, if at all. And that's the present fear, is that when that oil that is deep starts moving towards the shorelines, it then comes up to the shore, and that seems to be the pattern, that, that it's almost like it's a sleeper, that it's going to surprise us, and that that's what we fear. And it's purely, David, a volume thing. There's so much volume out there that, that, that I think we all feel, well, it's not just going to get pushed over towards Texas and Louisiana, and we're going to be okay. There's enough volume for us all. And, and our riverkeeper, Dan Tonsmeyer, one of the things he said early on is that this thing's going wherever the tide goes. With enough time, that's where it's going to be. Now, I was looking at the Weather Channel earlier. Noticed that there was a weak storm system uh, coming up into that area, and I'm sure that it's just one of many. What is the implication of a storm system coming in as far as the oil on the surface is concerned, but also as far as the toxicity level of the chemicals being used on the inland areas? Well, I think we have a few different scenarios there. Um, the most uh, positive scenario that's been espoused uh, for, for quite a while now is that storms actually work to our advantage in helping weather the oil faster, taking the toxicity out of it, um, making it weathered so that it's, it's, it's losing those volatiles and turning into tar balls that are, that are easy to, easier to deal with than, than spill and heavy oil. You know, the converse could be as equally as true in that, you know, when we have the big storms and, and everybody in our region gets hit sooner or later by a storm, um, you're getting a lot of water from, from down deep. It's not just surface water that's being brought up. Everything's being churned from a deep level 
to the surface level and brought on shore. And we all, I, don't, I haven't heard any plans, and, and, and we participate in the state and local EOC and Emergency Operations Center meetings. Nobody's, you know, espousing yet a plan for how to deal with this, you know, an old hurricane or an old tropical storm. But the way that we see it is that in the, in the, the most logical scenario, it's just going to spread it to more places quicker and further than you would normally have it in your normal tides you know like i said yesterday i mean sometimes we have six feet of water on top of our town you know under buildings or in buildings you know so if that water was old um it's it's a worst case scenario on top of a worst case scenario now what is the general feeling there in your area and beyond your area as far as the organization, the leadership from the federal government is concerned? Uh, I, I would say that the, the, the predominant feeling is not enough done, um, not enough control, not enough in charge, not enough making things happen, not enough um, making BP really respond and not hang things up. We all know BP's the responsible party, and, and I think the feeling is that responsibility is, yes, goes to their expertise, um, but it goes more importantly to, listen, let's take care of it. You've got to pay for it, but let's do what we need to do. That's what's not been happening, in my opinion, and I think the street opinion um, uh, at the federal level. Not enough, really, I mean, attacking this thing like we're in a war, you know, and really dealing with it, being very aggressive. And, you know, the problem is, is that you can't see it. You can't really tell what we're battling. And, and, and our techniques for dealing with it don't seem to be um, entirely effective. And, and that's, you know, that's one of those up-in-the-air questions, or are there really good techniques to deal with this? You know, yes, sir, so go ahead. Do you feel at this stage, let's take a scenario here. Mm -hmm. I understand that the site at which this exploded is now a crater and fairly, fairly damaged, fairly widespread damaged. If indeed they are not going to be able to cap this off, or they will not be able to cap it off for many months, which looks likely. Is there an acceptance in your area that the, that the lifestyle and the jobs, the way of life could be long-term affected? Um, well, you know, it's like the stages of death, you know. You got anger and acceptance. Um, you know, those kind of things. I think we are still in the fear um, realm of this and, and the still fighting realm of it. Um, I mean, I think people take it in that that may be what's going to happen. I mean, my wife's a nurse practitioner. She, she um, you know, this is a very rural, very poor community. A lot of her clients are oyster men and oyster women. You know, she had a lady in there recently who oysters every day. She calls the oysters that her husband tongs up. And, you know, this is one of the, one of the, I think this is the one remaining oyster 
fishery in America where people still harvest them by hand with tongs. So she comes in there, sees my wife, and she just breaks down. And this is somebody who's who's not well-educated, but was incredibly articulate in saying, you know, at the end of this day, when I go in from Oystering, I don't know whether this will be the last day that I'm out here looking at this water, looking at these birds, looking at those dolphins, looking at the fish, you know, just, you know, loving what she does because it's such a beautiful thing to be out there doing. And and so people, that's how they're looking at it. Yeah, everything may change. It may change tomorrow, and it may change for a long time. Um, you know, nobody's ready to make that transition. There are folks that are, that are on the BP payroll now running vessels of opportunity to help put out boom, help monitor boom, help open it up so boats can go through, help looking for oil. You know, they're, they're taking advantage of, hey, my lifestyle has changed. My livelihood has changed. And, you know, there's opportunities out here that are, that are part and parcel of the legality of this, i.e., BP's got to pay people, got to compensate them, and they're putting them to work. But nobody's, nobody's accepting that, hey, it's dead, it's over, I've got to transition totally. I think we're all thinking in the back of our minds, that may be the coming reality. And, and you know, the, the folks in Louisiana who, who are covered up by oil, I'm certain that they are in that heartbreaking acceptance and reality of they aren't going back. None of us know. I don't think the scientists know. We human beings are learning as we're doing. Nobody knows how long it's going to take to recover from this, how quickly nature will recover from this. You know, people may be able to return to their livelihoods um, quicker than we think. Um, David, may I interject something here right now, because we're literally on some breaking news that has been confirmed. Go ahead. Um, there are two <clears throat> negatives that I'm going to report. I, I want to, first of all, if you want to set it up or whatever, but I've been an investigative news guy for 40 years. Uh, I've also been in the advertising agency business for 15 of those 40 on and off, back and forth. Uh, the information that I'm about to get you has been cross-referenced. Matter of fact, I was just on, um, well, I jumped off while Andy was talking and uh, took a call from uh, Mike Huckabee, who is currently taping his show in New York for the Huckabee uh, uh, program. He may yet join us on this program. I've also talked with Marco Rubio, who is uh, running for the Senate seat uh, for the lame duck Lemieux, our other senator that was appointed uh, after uh, Bob Graham stepped, stepped down. Um, the What is going on right now, and uh, Bob Graham, by the way, our, our former um, governor of the state of Florida, and uh, also a senator for the state of Florida is the one that is uh, the investigative committee, one of two, that is looking over this BP oil spill deal. Now, I'd like to also kind of correct a statement that was made in earlier programs because we're trying to give you the most accurate news. Um, I, being an ad man for a long time, should have put two and two together of why why the media, the paid media, was not covering the story about Correxit. I've now gotten to the bottom of that. 
for those of you that have been following it, they're using a dispersant product that's the fourth toxic product on the EPA list that is banned for use in the UK. And it came out of the Exxon Valdez uh, story. They used that product and uh, as a dispersant. That dispersant is a poisonous product. I'm going to give you some more information. We're not trying to panic anybody here. But I have two other things that are even worst-case scenario that have now been confirmed. But let's just say we're talking about oil and a very dangerous chemical that's being used as a dispersant. We have also said in previous programs that we know for a fact, and I confirm that now, that there are other cracks that are giving us off about four times the amount of oil that we're all looking at on the television reports. And I just got a confirmation out of Texas AMM University as we were, and I'm going to tell people, David, I think it's important. This program is being aired or taped on Thursday, and it's Friday, but you're still not going to hear this news uh, until probably next week sometime, just the way the networks work. But I think it's important uh, for your audience to know that this news came to us and has now been confirmed and checked three different ways. The, uh, there are two other major things besides the corrective product, and we know Andy is correct, yes, that that could be an emulsifier if it wasn't for the amount of oil that is uh, combining itself with the corrective product. And sitting as a former ad man and looking at Fox News, looking at NBC, looking at CBS and ABC, Tony Hayward, who is the face of BP right now, um, has been, they've been spending a lot of money in advertising so that you could see Tony Hayward's face saying, I'm so sorry. And with the, also you heard the news of the chairman who is recently, as of June, the chairman of BP came on and said, the little people. It was an accident only because he's Swedish, but he was talking about the little people. That'd be us. And we've got about 45 seconds here, Pat. Right? But in case of that, let me just tell you what's going on right now. Tony Hayward, as of Thursday's news, has been suspended from BP. That's confirmed. Number two, the uh, oil crisis, uh, they have overlooked the fact that Texas A&M's um, Dr. Kessler, I spoke with his office today. He's, on, he's an oceanographer from Texas A&M University who has discovered that the gas that is in it, the methane gas, normally it's about 5%. It is currently at 40% that is coming up and has been tested. He's in the Gulf of Mexico now and will be on our program. So just to add to that and sum it up uh, for a quick second here, the area, the very area that is what, and this is, again, three different ways we've covered it, the very area that the uh, Deepwell Horizon went down is the area that in after World War II and uh, up until about 1970-something, I'll, I'll give you the exact minute. Um, I'm doing two things. Both of these got confirmed at the same time. has been a munitions dump. There are rockets bombs and things that have not yet been disabled in that very site. A matter of fact, Deepwater Horizon and BP were familiar that that was in an area where when they used to come back from battles, they would drop those bombs and rockets 
for a long period of time in that very area. Let me come in here then, Pat, if I may. Yes. And Andy, could I get uh, your your thoughts on that, sir? Uh, it's just uh, more really bad information on top of a you know a really horrible situation already. What is the methane danger, um, gentlemen? How uh, that obviously is an, going to impact the ecology. It's going to impact the the. Um, the the food system is there anything else that that can do in your area andy that that you could you need to consider perhaps say it again which danger the you know the the uh the the excessive uh methane oh from the methane i'm you know i really don't know i I don't have an opinion about that at all david i I couldn't tell you Back to well, you, again, back to you, Pat. Um, your information is is current. Um, could you tell us uh, again? You say that the BP CEO now has been um, relieved of his relieved. duties. Now, what would that suggest here? What who could now take up that position of leadership? Well, the position of leadership is I don't have his name in front of me, but it is the uh, now uh, CEO that was at the White House meeting with President Obama. I don't have his name handy. Again, this is all breaking news, but we've already reported his name um, once, I believe, in our, our thing. But I'll have Beverly, this again, coming live, get his name so we can uh, put it a little bit later in the program. But he's the uh, new CEO um, for BP, only been in that job since January, will take over. Now, one of the things from BP's standpoint, as we've investigated the story, Tony Hayward, CEO, is in, in uh, serious problems because while he was testifying up on the Hill yesterday, uh, and I believe he may still be testifying uh, as late as Thursday, today, we're airing this Friday because we have other programming, uh, the the uh, the fact of the matter is we're going to be the first ones to report what you're hearing, and we always will be because we're not beholding to the BP money that's being thrown around. Let me uh, uh, let me jump in there. Um, back to you, Andy. Is um, what is the purpose now of people in your area? Are they going to expedite in any way uh, the the necessary training to be able to? get onto these shores and start uh, cleaning up and uh, I guess I would also ask you the question maybe this is a great positive to have a change of leadership at BP um, well I hope that it is um, you know we don't know how that will pan out uh, I hope that that will work I hope it's not a, a change for the worst which it could be as well um, it, it you know on the local level um, even though folks are being trained, folks are trained, folks are going to get trained, um, it's, it's, this has all been really characterized with really poor communication. We were having a, a really good meeting today of several of the volunteer coordination organizations from Volunteer Florida to Volunteer Leon, that's the capital county for Florida, and Volunteer uh, Florida, I mean Volunteer Franklin County, um, our county here, and and you know we were talking about that of of uh, you know that not only is it really hard to figure out what's going on or what's going to happen or when the training's going to be and what kind of training is we re- you know nobody really knows who to ask 
and somebody was saying, well, nobody's got the answers. And, and, and the truth is, is that, well, the Coast Guard's got answers, and the state contractor's got answers, and BP's got answers, and the consultant has answers, and DEP has answers, but, but and, and that's what's true in our community, I'm sure it's in, true in other communities, but nobody in our little group, there's nobody in our small county who has a role of pulling answers from all of these sources is there is there no uh, sorry to interrupt no, that's right. is there any leadership in the local law enforcement in the local agencies that you can look at here well it, you we we could but i would think that they're i mean they're going to respond it's not their role the the closest role would be the emergency operations center but those folks are overwhelmed with kind of the on the ground stuff and and getting prepared for hurricane season you know which opened earlier this month um it's it's just another characteristic of this i mean we're all living our normal lives working lots being really engaged and then we've got this on top of us that that really takes us up to an intensity of we're doing two and a half times what we were doing a month ago and and it's you're 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 in a long slow motion accident and you're trying to get a grip on what's happening so you can respond to it and uh it's really hard to do and there's a lot of stuff flying around and a lot of ideas flying around um and and there's a lot of uh you know tension and uh, accusation and, and uh, just, you know, kind of breakdown of, of, uh, of emotion, um, uh, you know, throughout, though there are folks that are just like in any crisis, whether it's a war, whether it's a hurricane, um, who are just, you know, remaining calm, remaining focused, pulling people together, bringing them back to the table and saying, you know, let's just keep working together. Let's keep working the problem, identifying the problems, and, and identifying our gaps and trying to fill those gaps. And, you know, that's the best part of this is that, I mean, it's just like life and normal things we go through that, you know, human beings, we've got the capacity to do what's happening right now, create this horrible disaster in the Gulf. But we've also got the capacity to work our way through our problems, whether they're personal problems or whether they're environmental problems or societal problems that's what we're doing you know that's what we're holding ourselves together to do and this know? this certainly presents a test and and i do believe that that test is going to result with with great success pat o'brien back to you sir you had mentioned the correct material if indeed we see uh, some systems coming through uh, some hurricanes coming through it, are there any models uh, at the moment that have been built uh, either in academia or in any other environment that could indicate the impact of any toxicity produced by this correct material? Well, right now, um, we know that the, uh, again, without the notes of the last year, we did butane ethanol that uh, Joe uh, put on. Maybe you can help me, Andy, with what that is. Um, I know you're, uh, you've got a science background as well, but in any case, the toxic product in there uh, is um, right now been tested as it is in the clouds and the rain as it's coming off the state of Florida. Uh, as it comes from the Gulf of Mexico across the state, there's already problems that this toxic soup that they've put in there 
along with the oil, is part of the rain that is in Florida right now. I have confirmation of that. I got to go back to this information because I don't want people to panic, but I need we need them to prepare based on information. This is coming out of the AP wire has confirmed it. This is all breaking while we're on the air now. It is an overlooked danger in the oil spill crisis. The crude gushing from the well contains vast amounts of natural gas that could pose a serious threat to the Gulf of Mexico's fragile ecosystem. Mm. The oil emitting from the seafloor contains 40% methane compared to the about 5% found in typical oil deposits. This now, is according to John Kessler of Texas A.M. University, who I've been in touch with his office and also the press office of Texas A.M. University, and have had that being confirmed. Now, what that does, that amount of uh, uh, gas in the uh, oil that is coming up with the oil, what that does is will actually suffocate the wildlife in that uh, environment. And this is, goes on to quote him. This means huge quantities of methane have entered the Gulf. Scientists say potentially suffocating marine life and creating dead zones where oxygen is so depleted that nothing lives. Now, That's Andy, according to Kessler. Andy Smith, um, Andy, uh, is there a capability for um, this marine life? Uh, these huge um, uh, pools of, uh, of fish to be able to leave that area, depart that area, and, and go to other areas, perhaps uh, further down the Atlantic. Is that a capability? I think it's a possibility. I don't know how much of a probability it is. Um, you know, folks folks here are starting to see a lot more dolphins along the shore, and they are supposing that, that those dolphins are moving in front of the oil front. Don't know if that's true or not. That's pure speculation. Of course, you know, finfish are, are mobile, and a lot of them are extremely migratory, as we know. Um, but, you know, we got to think about turtles and, and, and jellyfish, you know, things that don't move that fast. Um, and, and you really have to understand the food chain. I mean, it's you know, the food chain is not that mobile, and 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 you know you everything's working off of detritus that's being broken down by bacteria that's been eaten by phytoplankton that's being eaten by zooplankton that's being eaten by small crustaceans right on up the line. You know, a lot of the times when you're talking about things getting absorbed into the environment, that means they're being eaten by photoplankton or zooplankton. That's the base of the food chain. Our river, which flows 900 miles through Georgia and Florida, it sends a plume of nutrients you know, a two or 300 miles out into the Gulf that goes right over the slope you know, in, uh, into the deep water from the continental shelf that, that is you know, the, 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 the grouper reefs where the finfish are that's really a productive area. And, and you know, that, that's what makes what we have live. That stuff is not going to be running away. Now, if you... If you Andy, may I ask you a quick question of Andy? Andy, let me just ask you, given the fact that this professor has uncovered this fact about methane, and we're now looking at the possibility of large methane gas, uh, when they say that it's, you know, normally the smell that we have out of gasoline is, is a methane, am I correct in that? I'm not a scientist. You know, 
and and uh, and, and Pat and David, I'm not a scientist either. You know, okay. I, I've I've uh, I've worked in this field for a while. I'm a lawyer. Um, I, I don't know, but but I mean, my impression is, you know, that the methane's more of the volatile parts of petroleum, you know, that that are more toxic. But um, I can't answer that question anymore. Okay. If you if you have a plan view of the Gulf and your coastline, could it be that the 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 fish, the marine life, is being forced? Inland uh, towards your shores, and and what occurs if that, that if that is happening? Are they being trapped, as it were? Tracked. Trapped. Uh, uh, no, I don't believe they're being tracked. And yes, they could be moving east and south. I think that's a, a very real possibility. But you know, I mean, who, who's to say? You know, they're not turning around trying to get back home. You know, and dying. And then uh, the estuary that you talk about, uh, this mm-hmm. this 300 miles, is that pressure um, enough to keep any pollution or, or any wildlife that has been affected out of that estuary, or is it possible with currents for that toxicity, for that uh, material to actually be uh, sweeped into the estuaries and into the rivers? Oh yeah, that's a real possibility. And the 300 miles I'm talking about, I'm just talking. This is where this long river that 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 flows down into the Gulf. It just slowly sends out that detrius, that that sediment out into the Gulf. And that's not an estuary. That's a part of the Gulf. But what you have in the Gulf of Mexico, especially in our region, and really going all the way around to Louisiana. You know, it's not like the dramatic northeast or western coast that we have in America and other places. You know, it's it's a fairly gentle place. Um, we do have hurricanes and big storms here on a routine basis, but but it's you know it's I mean you've got you know beautiful rolling coastal plain countryside that's that's full of pine trees that just filters into marshes. You know, for a large part of it, you've got some great white sandy beaches. But it's—I mean—you'll you, go from pine trees to marsh to, to to the Gulf of Mexico, where you're in very shallow water for a long time. I mean, you can go out half a mile or so and still be in ten or twelve feet of water, maybe a mile, that sort of thing. Seagrass is just just a a, a jungle, an ocean of seagrass is just undulating underneath that surface you know very gentle coast then those seagrasses are full of life i mean they they feed the gulf those things that coast is just sitting there no protection at all you know just waiting for this stuff to come down and fall on top of it and in 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 terms of nautical miles or as the crow flies uh, is there any information to suggest how far the oil is from those areas yeah um coming our way the, i mean the best ideas that we have the oil is probably ah it's probably 60 or 70 miles from there it's really hard to tell i mean you're we're starting to see the leading edge of oil sheen and tar balls you know to the counties to the west of us and and probably here as well and you know, so nobody, I mean, it really is, it, it, I mean, folks don't know, 
you know, when the oil of the oil, not tarballs, not sheen, is going to hit them because it seems to be riding below the surface and then coming to the surface when it gets near the shoreline. So it's like, you know, it, it sneaks up. You don't, I mean, and folks, that's what the Coast Guard um, officer was saying today. We don't have a handle on, we're not tracking where that subsurface product is, you know, so they don't know. So I, I think it's in that range for us here in Apalachicola of being 50 or so miles away from us, maybe maybe a little further, hadn't reached Panama City yet and places to the west of us, um, you know, and, and, and there are also pieces of it. We do know that there are pieces of the spill that are just, you know, moving with eddy-type currents and breaking off and maybe are leading edges of, of the oil product and oil spill coming to us and, and leading the edge, you know, as if you can imagine it, you know, the thing is kind of slowly moving and just pieces are breaking off and, and, and going to places and getting to them earlier than the big body of it. Now, Andy and David, let me give you mm-hmm. an update that I said I would do. Uh, this is according to Sky News Television that is released, um, uh, that just came out. Uh, this has to do with the, um, it's actually releasing is the word they're using of uh, Tony Hayward, CEO. Uh, the, who is the VP chairman? Uh, Hendrick, I'll take it, Carl Hendrick Savenberg, S-A-N, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, S-A-N-Berg is the person that is now in charge of BP, the same one that was with President Obama in the White House. Um, now, BP Chairman, Swedish Executive, Carl Hendrik Sandberg, uh, who has uh, been summoned to the Washington via letter from the Coast Guard, blah, blah, blah. He just became chairman on January 1st, and they um, released uh, Tony Hayward, uh, relieved him of his day-to-day responsibilities for managing the Gulf of Mexico spill. That's the news on that one. Now, the other news that I said I would mm. report, just to keep uh, people in mind, the dumping grounds for the um, area that was the BP Horizon site, 1946 to 1970, military ordnance was dumped in the Gulf of Mexico by U.S. Armed Forces, and it was the primary disposal site for excess uh, munitions originating from a number of large ordnance houses in the southeastern United States. The ordnance included, but was not limited to, projectiles, bombs, and chemical ordnance. Let me jump in. Let me let me jump in here. Um, It could possibly be that we are with that news, seeing some sort of leadership come out of this. It may go the other way. I agree, Andy. Um, what do you think that this is going to do for the morale of, of folks in your area now? Do you think that they're going to see some light at the end of the tunnel? No, I don't. I, I really don't think that that's what's going to give us light at the end of the tunnel, David. I, I, the, the light at the end of the tunnel is going to come from from the physical reality that we encounter. You know, the, we 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 are fortunate that that we have not been old yet. We anticipate that we're going to get old, and once that happens, if it happens, 
the, the only light is going to be what we see as we work our way through this. Um, you know, it would be great if the news we got was they got it plugged off, it's done, you know, there's no more coming out. None of us think that's going to happen for quite a while. Um, so all we can do, I mean, is, is respond to what we have to deal with physically. Um, you, you know, if the powers that be will uh, will, will make sure that we have the resources we need, and, and that is not a given at this point. Um, if this change will help that happen, that's wonderful. That's great. Um, you know, people at, at the ground level here are working as hard as they can to get those resources. They're doing everything they can to get them. Um, whether they get them or not in time is, is a whole other question, but, but it's it's not looking horrible for that. You know, we're all just persisting in that. Things are continuing to move our way. We're lucky enough to be just ahead of it and to perhaps have enough time to do as much preparation as can be done for this, which is not the way it was for the folks in Louisiana. Um, we may be okay, but, the, you know, just, I don't know, you know, the... the the, the, I mean, it just it has to go back for what we've for what we have allowed ourselves to do, you know, to to allow ourselves to take risk like this that we can't handle as a civilization is you know this is what it produces. It's it is a huge thing. Now, what what about these beautiful areas that you're talking about mm -hmm. um, off the coast there? If the oil does hit that, uh, what is the expected time of recovery if it is as bad as we think that it will be? You know, I've heard 10 or 15 years. I, I, I talked to a, a man who is one of the higher-ups in the Division of Aquaculture for Florida, that deals with shellfish, and when he was a graduate student in the early 80s, he was working in Texas on oyster beds there that had been impacted from the uh, Gulf of Campeche, Campeche Bay um, spill in 1979. So they're dealing; they were dealing with what was happening there, and instead of having sandbars out there, you know, off the off the shore, they had oil bars. And their estimate then was that those oyster beds wouldn't be open for 10 years. If uh, if this is going to continue, is there a, a a point at which people in your community and any community in this area could really get to the point of uh, explosion to where they start taking things into their own hands? Well, you know, <laughs> in this place, that point's often not too far away. Just in general. Um, it's a very organic community. It's the native niche that that a lot of folks fill here, and in, and so they live off of the water instead of living off the land. They live off the water, and and you know so they're firsthand folks. You know what's happening in front of them is what's perhaps most important, other than feeding their families, and that's what they're trying to do. Um, emotions often run high, and and independence of spirit is paramount here so uh you know i mean they they've they've driven their you know folks here have driven their oyster boats around the capital that sort of thing um you know that's just a symptom of stress you know if that sort of thing happens and and you know 
I mean, it could be a very black thing, you know, a very dark time. If we do, I mean, if folks start seeing here what they're seeing in Louisiana, I, I don't know how they're going to react. You know, I, I just, it's, I, I can't conceive of it. In in these situations, would you agree that as much uh, emotion and distress as you may see in people, you equally find those heroes who will lead the way, who will persist, will never give up, and we will, in the worst of circumstances, rebuild this area however many decades it takes? Absolutely. No doubt about it. What about your area of the uh, of the woods over in Florida, Pat? What is the general feeling in your neighborhood? Well, for those that don't know, I just kind of live south of the Kennedy Space Center on the east coast of Florida. I had to go out. Of course, we've had this information that I'm reporting now, and we had to cross-check it and confirm it. But I had to go out and um, do a couple of errands. I went to my eye doctor's uh, place uh, to get my my glasses repaired that I slept on while reading stuff last night and had to get them repaired. So I asked him how aware he was of it. And they're very nervous. Um, and they are up on the story, uh, pretty much, not what I just reported. But um, they're preparing for the worst. I went to a uh, the supermarket chain in Florida that everyone knows if they've been to Florida is Publix. Publix, where shopping is a pleasure. I went to the store there and just talked to about 20 people in about a half-hour period just to try to get a take on it. Everybody's aware of it but doesn't know what they could possibly do about it, uh, but they are preparing for the worst based on the news. And the news that I just reported hasn't been reported anyplace else yet, other than it's just going out right now. So now you got a munitions dump that's out there. You've got uh, 35% more of the methane gas out there than was expected, all confirmed by uh, the oceanographer that discovered it. And, um, you know, I'm sitting here in Florida saying, I, I don't want to put a panic to anyone, but we've actually made provisions. I've got provisions set up to go to Long Island in worst-case scenario. I start smelling methane gas, and we're on the road. Would, uh, now, would, would, the, would that for you, Andy, uh, be a possibility, or do you consider that there is a huge resilience to stay whatever the circumstances are? These folks stay here, you know, when the hurricanes come. They batten down the hatches and they stay here. Um, some do leave, but most of them uh, weather it out. So I would, I mean, there are going to be some that leave, but I think most of the folks are going to, you know, unless they're, uh, you know, on an acute level, their health starts to be threatened, uh, they're not going to leave. Well, what's not being reported, Andy, is that their threat uh, right now, uh, their health is from the standpoint of right. what's in this Corexit product, the uh, we've now got acid rain across Florida coming off from the Gulf. Right. The other it, side of the thing is, and all all fact, um, we we know we know what uh, we know some things that uh, we can't report as fact. But um, in talking to people that are on the east coast of Florida, they are seeing more military vehicles than normal. Uh, I've talked to uh, three different people on that coast and are noticing that the military is coming in. 
It could be if, for example, now we're looking at a military dump site until from the end of World War II to 1970. Can I just can I just ask you, Pat, where yes. where is that located? Uh, in right ref- in, in, where in the deep water horizon is. A matter of fact, in uh, in two, I get it here. I got to go to it just very quickly. Uh, in 2006. The Mineral and Mining Service released notice to the leases of the area of which the deep water horizon was and is, or was, <laughs> yeah, I guess it's a was, uh, that that area was a munitions dump, and that although the military had gone in and pre-exploded a lot of it, they know they didn't get out of it. I would submit to you, again, this is as an investigative reporter and now needs fact-checking is not fact, but I would suggest to you that the explosion that happened that night on the rig some whatever days ago uh, may not have been necessarily uh, just the, we know they did crack the ocean floor. We've got confirmation from BP executives in the U.K., to that effect, although we can't get them on record yet, we will in future shows, I submit to you that possibly that BP Horizon wasn't just the methanol and gas, and if methanol was up at the levels that um, this um, uh, professor is quoting, that could have caused the explosion in itself. But then say we're also in a dumping zone for World War II up to 1970 uh, uh, bombs, missiles, and whatever, that that could have created the additional craters we know are out there that the BP is, is saying is uncapable. Let and again, me, these are reliable sources, but they're again non-confirmable sources. Let me turn uh, back to Andy, if I may, uh, in the closing minutes. If there is uh, are any organizations, think tanks, uh, clearly I have many scientists um, uh, listening to this program, uh, what would your request be now um, for your area and for all of these areas? Can they help in any way, uh, scientists in, in ecology, in the food systems, in uh, any of these areas of uh, possible... Um, uh, toxic fumes. Is there anything that you would could could do with down there at this stage? Well, I, I think it would be useful information, David, that that uh, for the public to have, and, and especially information that should be broadcast. Uh, you know, once confirmed and, and once known what the risks are, there shouldn't be any doubt about that. Um, there's been fairly good information, um, I think, about from the sense of we've got thousands of volunteers that want to get out there and do stuff, but from the get-go they've been saying, no, this is toxic, hazardous material, don't touch it, don't go near it. Um, I don't think they should stop that. They should continue with that, especially given the the, uh, new information that's out there. Um, uh, You know, I, I think more ecologically speaking, just... You know the the value of these resources, and just because they're out of sight and out of mind, um, we have a tendency to to not take care of them. A great example being the munitions dump we're talking about. It's like no, we haven't yet learned how to clean up after ourselves, Mom. You know we're not doing a great job. You know our our mama has to keep admonishing us to to take care of our waste, to take care of what we do. Um, 
You know, I, I mean, I think this is just incredibly symptomatic of that. What is your strategy for the next five or six days down there, Andy? Well, uh, you know, I'm taking some folks out paddling tomorrow because I think they need to just get out there and see the beauty that's here and kind of let some of this stuff go. We're going to stay hard on uh, doing the response efforts we have to do, which is doing really good monitoring, getting the boom staged here in the county, getting skimmers over here, getting ready, um, doing the photo monitoring that we're doing across our uh, coastal waters here so we can track visually, you know, what it was like before, what, what, it's, what, what it looks like during impact and after impact. Um, you know, uh, the local organizations, you know, we're starting to see mental health impacts here. And we hadn't even been old. You know, the social services agencies here are getting much more demands from all sorts of folks, from all levels of life, not just the oystermen out there, not just the fishermen, but, but folks that, that are retired, that have second homes here. You know, those folks are making more demands on the, you know, the, the, the mental health, the social health type uh, organizations and agencies here. You know, the, the needs are starting to really increase in all kinds of ways here. Pat O'Brien, we have 30 seconds. Do you have any last-minute news for us, sir? Well, I don't have last-minute news, but let me make a comment based on what we're reporting here, and you're hearing it here first. Um, one of the things that I think we need to be able to do is make preparations calmly, but mm. uh, your valuables, uh, your records that you need, that you can get, uh, there could easily become an evacuation of some of these Gulf states. Uh, you need to be prepared for it because, like I'm saying, the military is somehow preparing for it. We can't get total confirmation of it. But if we've got methane gas at high levels coming across, if we've got the uh, aftermath of the um, corrected product coming across our states, uh, with everything that we're knowing, the suffocation of the uh, ecology, um, I think we need to be prepared for worst-case scenario. Very again, calmly, pack yourself a bag that you got near a door if the evacuation should start. And I know that sounds a little bit out there, but again, these sources have been confirmed and cross-checked a number of times. That is worst-case scenario, and I think you need to be prepared for it. Pat O'Brien, Andy Smith, uh, thank you so much for being here today. I do sincerely hope that these programs that we share together are offering hope to people. It is certainly sharing a pragmatic and uh, level and calm sense of uh, information and I know at the end of the day uh, with heroes like yourselves uh, Pat and Andy I know that we can succeed with this and I wish you so much luck thanks so much David it was a pleasure to be here appreciate it thank you David and again we our prayers are out for the families of the 11 victims and let's try to prevent as many more as we can with this information and to our listeners, I uh, hope you have uh, gained uh, insight and much information from this program. This is a time uh, for calmness and a good, solid approach and following men like these who are going to make sure that this does not impact our children in the long term and that we can succeed. You can gain information on this and any other program in the series at davidgibbons.org. Meanwhile, wherever you are in the world, good morning, good afternoon and good evening.
David Gibbons in Discussion welcomes listeners' comments and viewpoints at its blog at davidgibbons.org. This programming is supported by organizations and firms in the private and public sectors. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.